What's that? <laughs> it's gross, okay? Yeah. Maybe a little locust. Yeah, some people call it a locust. Some people call that a grasshopper. Some people will call, call that Jiminy Cricket. A lot of different things you can call it. But John the Baptist looked at that and called that lunch. <laughs> John the Baptist. If you know anything about John the Baptist, he was kind of like a grizzly bear of a man. He was a bug-eating, animal-skin-wearing preacher dude from the backwoods. But he was good. He was really good. He was a phenom because crowds came from a long ways away just to hear what John had to say. And on occasion, they would ask him, they'd say, well, John, should we follow you? John, should we worship you? John, should we serve you? And if you're John the Baptist, wouldn't it be at least a little tempting to say, well, sure, yeah, if you want to follow me, you want to serve me, go right on ahead. But John the Baptist, he didn't do that. Rather, he said this, Chapter 3, verse 11, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John said to all these adoring people coming to hear him, he said, well, it's not about me. Not about me. It's about one who's going to come after me. Now you and I, we know who that is. It was Jesus. And in this passage, did you notice all the language about baptism? Matthew chapter 3 is the introduction of baptism to the Christian faith. You say, well, what is that? I imagine you're somewhat familiar with it. We've seen it. It's sprinkling or splashing or dipping or dunking water on people for a certain amount of time. But why do followers of Jesus, why do they do that? What does it mean? Well, let's think about that. Does baptism, does that remind you of anything that we do on a regular basis? Like, take a look at this guy. What's that little guy need? He doesn't need a wet wipe. That's not going to be enough. This guy's going to need a full-fledged bath. A bath. It's when the dirt and the grime and the dust and the filth is just washed off and it's washed away. Well, who needs a bath? Well, it's people who are dirty. Symbolism of baptism. Who needs to be baptized? Well, people who are dirty. People who have sin in their life. Baptism, what it represents, is a symbol representing the cleaning, not just on the outside, but also on the inside of sin by God. So back to Matthew 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. So John the Baptist, he's in the Jordan River, and he's calling out, repent, 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 for the kingdom of heaven is near. And there's this long line of people waiting to be baptized and repent and have John baptize them in the Jordan River. And so what they're doing is they're acknowledging, well, I'm dirty, need to be cleansed, sin in my life, I want to have that washed away. And guess who shows up into this baptism line? Well, Jesus. We think, well, 
Understanding what baptism is and understanding what it represents, isn't that a little bit odd? Why, of all people, would Jesus get baptized? And maybe you know this story in the Bible. Right? And you're like, yeah, I know that. I know that John was the one who baptized Jesus in the Jordan. But have you ever thought about, well, why? Why did he do that? Why was Jesus baptized? Was Jesus a sinner? No. Hebrews 4.15 says this about Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. It says, well, this Jesus was different. Jesus was perfect. He was without sin. That's why His sacrifice on the cross can cover your sin and my sin. So if Jesus was without sin, then why was He baptized? What was the purpose of that? I kind of imagine this scene with John. He's got this line of people. They're saying, hey, we want to repent. We want to be baptized. He's going through the line saying, yep, you know, sinful, sinful, sinful. Uh-oh. Jesus, what are you doing here? Right, Jesus, you're in the wrong line. Jesus, you don't need to be in this line. And that actually is the response from John the Baptist. Verse 14 puts it this way. John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? John's like, Jesus, hold up. You don't need this. You don't need to be baptized. You don't need to be repenting. We know Jesus didn't get baptized for His sins, so why did He get baptized? What do you think? Well, biblical scholars come up with a few different reasons for why He did. One of them is along the lines of to identify with us. For Jesus to identify with us and to demonstrate how we're saved. Baptism shows us, well, Jesus lived a life without sin, willingly gave His life up on the cross, and then He was raised again. They don't stay under the water, right? Raised again to new life, to identify with us. Others will say, well, it's an endorsement. Jesus was endorsing John's ministry. Several of the original disciples of Jesus, well, they started out as disciples of John the Baptist. So they say this was Jesus' way of giving a stamp of approval to the ministry of John the Baptist. It's an endorsement. Others will say, well, it's a precedent. Jesus was baptized to set the precedent for His followers, showing that as He was baptized, so too we should be baptized. And there are some who say, well, really what it's about when you understand the context of what was going on, it's about Him being a king. Because back in the day, before a king was coronated, a king would go through a ceremonial bathing and washing before he became the coronated king. And so, well, Jesus, he's about to launch his public ministry, and so here he's being coronated as the king of kings. Jesus was without sin, so why did he get baptized? Endorsement, identify with us, precedent, king. What do you think? I think it could be one of those. I think it could be some of those. I think it could be a part of all of those. And I also think there's a little bit more. Passage continues, verse 16. 
As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I want you to catch something in those verses. In this passage, as you notice, we have the voice from heaven. That's God. And in this same passage, we have a dove that's coming down, descending from heaven. And in the same passage, we have Jesus who's standing in the Jordan River. How does that work? Either Jesus is a great ventriloquist, or God's diversified. This is one of those passages. It can be a little confusing because we also get things in the Bible that teach this. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, for the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One God. But in Matthew chapter 3, it's right there, right in front of us. Three different manifestations of God at the same time. What do we do with that? Well, for over 1,500 years, the Christian church of all denominations has referred to this as the Trinity. God has revealed Himself to us in three different persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. If you grew up going to Sunday school, like I did, thank you, Tony and Dee, Good background. I grew up at Meredith Drive when these guys were pastoring there. I got taught a lot about the Trinity. And you get taught about the Trinity. There's a lot of good analogies to do this. There's an analogy like H2O. It can, solid, liquid, gas. One substance, three forms. Or you think about a person. You can take me, for example. Well, I'm a husband, and I'm a father, and I'm a pastor. One person, three roles. Kind of like the Trinity. Or an object, like an egg. You got the shell, and you got the white part inside, and then you got the yolk. It's one object, three parts. And that analogy works great until you crack it open and there's a double yolk. Doesn't work so good anymore. But why do we do this? Understanding Christianity didn't just come up with this concept of the Trinity because we fully understand all of it. It came up with the Trinity because it's right in here. Because the Bible reveals it. Pretty clear in a passage like Matthew chapter 3. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Is one of these better than the other? No. Is one of these more important than the other? No. Is one of these less God than the other? No. God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, ruling and reigning, is one. Well, Jesus is without sin. Jesus is God. So why this passage? Why did Jesus get baptized? I want to hold that thought. We'll get back to it in a couple of minutes. But first, I want us to focus on something different. Take a look at this. Cutie here, right? I mean, a little bumpy, but cute in a weird sort of way. You know what a frog like that needs? According to our stories and according to our fairy tales, frog like that needs a good old kiss. Any volunteers? See, something like that might not turn this guy into a prince, but imagine what it would do for his self-esteem. 
do some pretty good things. I think it's not just that frog. I think deep down, there's something in you, and I think deep down, there's something in me that wants that. One of the deepest desires of of a human is that desire to be valued, that desire to be accepted, that desire to be loved. And there's a whole lot of ways that we go about seeking that kind of acceptance and that kind of personal validation. One of the ways that we can do that is through belonging. We can think, you know, I am somebody if I'm accepted as a part of this group. This, this is strong for those of you who are in high school and those of you who are in middle school, thinking, well, which group am I in? Where, where do I fit? Who do I sit by? Where in the pecking order do I go? Worth it can be based on like the cool points that we or the people that we hang out with have. And we think, well, I don't want to hang out with him, not because I don't like him, but because if I am, then I might be, my people might look at me and think, oh, well, man, I'm a, I must be a nerd. But I want to hang out with her, because if people see me with her, then they'll be thinking, oh, cool. That must be cool if they're hanging out together. It's this desire for belonging. Other people will send, seek this desire for personal validation through success. Thinking, you know, if I can just climb high enough, if I can reach a certain level, if I can just get an office that's got my name on it, I'll be respected. And so I'll do whatever I need to do to reach that point. Others will seek it through relationships. Be like, well, does anybody want me? Is anyone attracted to me? Because if, if some guy thinks I'm the greatest thing, if some guy thinks that, that you know, I'm good, if somebody thinks like I'm there a Romeo, then I must be there Juliet. I must be valued. Here's a way that it, it was significant for me when I was growing up. Sports, activities. It's another one. Anybody here in football? Anybody doing football this season? Soccer? Baseball, not now. Baseball, baseball was my favorite sport growing up. Not because I was good at it, I just kind of liked it with it. So with baseball, here's what, what I would experience with baseball. When I was up at bat, and on those occasions when I got a hit, got safe, was on board, I'd get like, you know, high fives and cheers and fanny pats, and it was awesome. But on those other occasions, which happened a whole lot more often, when I didn't get a hit, when I got out, when I struck out or whatever it ended up being, didn't feel the love. What happens when we experience things that way in life? Well, what we can learn, maybe not even directly, but indirectly, those kind of things, well, tell us, well, my value as a person and as an individual is based on my accomplishment. Did I get enough hits? Did I make a play? Did I win? I am what I do. My value, well, it's temporary. My worth is conditional. I'm only as good as my latest accomplishment. And life, it can turn into this subconscious pursuit to find something which brings me worth and validation. Constant question. Am I good enough? Am, am I valued? 
Matthew 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, Do you notice the Trinity there in that time? Right, you got Father speaking, Son, Holy Spirit, they're all there. The voice from heaven, Father said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Why did God the Father say that? This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Who was that for? This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. How do you think that made Jesus feel? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. How would you like to hear those words from your dad? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I think that this passage is is very important for you and for me to understand who we are. To understand our identity. Specifically, the timing of this passage. This is Matthew chapter 3. This is Matthew chapter 3. God the Father says this to Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Question. Matthew chapter 3, has Jesus preached a single sermon yet? The correct answer is no. He has not. Matthew chapter 3, has Jesus performed a single miracle yet? No, he has not. Matthew chapter 3, has Jesus given his life on the cross as a sacrifice for sin yet? No, he has not. He hadn't done any of those things yet. And I love that part of this passage. I'm, I hear God through that part of this passage. I'm changed by that part of this passage. Because here's what we see in that. God, well, He loves him before He does anything. God is pleased with Jesus before He did anything of merit. This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. God said those words to Jesus before He did anything noteworthy. Jesus wasn't dirty. Jesus didn't have any sin in His life. So why did Jesus get baptized? Identity, endorsement, precedent king, perhaps, and more. Baptism, not just about forgiveness. It's deeper than that. Baptism in a word, identity. In baptism, God says, you, you are mine. You're my kids. You're my sons. You're my daughters. Our God is a God of grace. And He reveals Himself to us as a Father. And how does a father treat their kids? Father loves their kids before they're even born. Good father loves their kids before they've done anything of merit. Good father loves their kids before they've accomplished anything. God, He loves us like that. God, what He does for us, it's kind of like, kind of like that. 
You know, when I think of God, I think, God, he's in the frog-kissing business, and you and I, we're the frogs. God's love for us is like that. The deepest need of every human being is this need to be valued and accepted and loved, and we can go to some extreme lengths to get this and to try and implement it into our lives. But all along, this God of ours is saying, it's already yours. It's already yours. It's already yours. I've already given you that. If you're a follower of Jesus, by that, we talk about if you've acknowledged, yeah, I've messed up, there's sin in my life, and I'm going to receive what Jesus has done for the forgiveness for my sins, and I want to trust him, and I want to follow him. If you're a follower of Jesus, hear these words from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 43. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. You are precious and honored in my sight. I love you. I imagine that there's some of us here today who are hearing and thinking and believing the lies. Like, well, I'm not attractive enough. Or I'm, I'm not successful enough. Or I'm not popular enough. Or I'm not intelligent enough. Or I'm too dirty. I'm broken. Those are lies. Renounce the lies. Don't give them authority in your hearts or in your minds. Don't listen to them. Reject them. Let's read this passage together. God speaking to us through the passage from Isaiah. Join me. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. You are precious and honored in my sight. I love you. You are accepted. You are valued. You are loved. I know that. But sometimes, sometimes I still forget that. Sometimes I feel inadequate, not good enough. And I think that I try and compensate for that by achieving or by accomplishing or did I do enough good things. But when we get there, I find it's actually quite empty. The only way you and I will find that lasting validation. Stop searching for it. And accept what God has already done for us in Jesus. He's saying, you're my sons, you're my daughters. Don't waste your life trying to gain what you've already been given. Don't waste your life trying to gain what you've already got. Embrace your identity as his son and daughter and let that shape your life. Pray with me. God, we, uh, we can seek this validation and worth and acceptance in a lot of different places. We hear what you say to us. We've heard the words time and time and time again that you love us, that you gave your life on the cross for us. I pray that you would 
Drive that into our lives deeply. So we won't have to seek that in other ways, in other places. But help us find that in you. Help us find that through you. Let that fill us with joy and with gratitude. Thank you for what you've given us. Our prayer is in the name of Jesus. Amen.